Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Um, we're going to continue in our series um, on marriage this week. And um, I was feeling a little conflicted about it, but even hearing David for a moment just talk about distraction felt kind of confirming that we need to sit on this this morning. Um, I want to ask you guys if I can take some pastoral license this morning. Um, there are these little one-off moments in the scriptures where the Apostle Paul says, you know, I don't have a word from the Lord on this, but as one who is trustworthy and a leader in your lives, I have this to say. You guys know what I'm talking about? Those are interesting moments. He's speaking from the familiarity of a spiritual father to people who, whose lives he's watching over and over and over. And he says, hey, can I just talk to you? And you trust me that what I'm saying is for your good. Uh, and so I'm going to ask for a little bit of license to do that. It's not like deeply scriptural this morning. It's just like, how do we dig into what we've been chatting about in terms of marriage? Sound good? Um, okay. So I want to talk to you for just uh, a few moments about these specific places that I really believe we need to dig in if we're going to have the kinds of marriages we've been talking about. And how many of you the past like four weeks, you're going, I, I want that kind of marriage, but also it seems kind of hard to get there. Anybody? And like it shows up in super, super practical ways each and every day and week. Um, like, how do I become the kind of husband who is willing to lay down my life for my wife every single day? Like, how, how do I get there, Hugo? Because it sounds good, but there's some gap between that idea and who I am. Or how does, uh, for, for my wife, how does she become the kind of wife who knows how to surrender and yield to and submit and respect her husband, even when I'm a knucklehead? Right? Like, she may want to, but there's a gap there. How do we walk out the grace and the gift on our lives like we talked about last week? How do we understand that stuff that the Spirit has put so deeply inside of us and recognize that there, there are some steps of obedience that come with that, right? How do we become one flesh? That, that's the terminology that uh, Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 uses, that the man will leave his wife, I'm sorry, will leave his father and mother. Do not leave your wife, man. That the man, rough start, J.D., it's a rough start. It got weird early, Hugo. That's what I get for wearing denim. All right. Genesis 2.24 says that the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, that always catches my ear, that piece of the scripture, that word become. Right? It's the idea that what God began as one flesh and then separated to create two fleshes, he then commands to become one flesh again. And, and not just be one flesh, to become one flesh. And that means that as we venture to live out this thing that we've been talking about, this marriage, this audacious vision of the kingdom at work in two people who are learning to submit to and love and unite together, this idea is going to call me to daily decisions, to daily make choices that are going to move me toward this vision or away from this vision. And I'm like every single day, I'm entering into this process with the Lord on becoming the kind of man who can be that husband he's describing, right? The writer of the Song of Songs says it like this, catch for us the little foxes, the, the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. This is the running metaphor all through the scriptures that marriage actually is a whole lot like a vineyard. Uh, and this vineyard demands tending and attention in order to grow and thrive. 
And the killers of this garden aren't these big, bad, obvious villains, right? It's, it's not lions and tigers and bears. They're little, precious foxes. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting picture for him to give to us? Like, these things are small. They're maybe even insignificant things that we continue to overlook. Maybe just personality traits or preferences or the little habits that seem so insignificant that we kind of write them off as no big deal. They're small. And they're foxes. They're kind of they're cute, right? It's dismissible until we see the wreckage that it's creating all around us. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen something like that in operation. Like, I've got cats. I have 30 cats that live next door to my house. And they seem cute, but they're trying to kill the doves on my roof right now, okay? They're creating wreckage. Cute little cats. They're just baby panthers murdering (laughs) birds all around my house. And so my dog is an instrument of vengeance from the Lord against them. going to be okay. We, we undermine the impact of these little foxes because they're so small and dismissible, and you can actually explain it away. You can actually explain these little things at work in our marriages away like it's no big deal. Uh, marriage writer Scott Kadersha says that foxes are the pests that wreak havoc in vineyards. They eat grapes, they dig holes, they trample vines in search of their prey. They have no regard for the vulnerability of the vines and the grapes, only for their selfish appetites. Seemingly harmless and typically only 15 inches tall, they dig holes and passages that loosen the soil around vines. They prevent a stable root system. The foxes represent some deterrence that threaten to spoil the relationship, the small problems that gnaw at the roots of love. So you know what I love about that description is we all have little things that are loosening the soil around the root system of our relationship. It's like not a single one of them would you point to and go, there's the problem in our marriage. But those things together are adding up to something. And if we're not careful as husbands and wives, we will strictly look out for things that are explicitly sin and think that's the stuff that's corrupting our marriage and forget about all the things that are just personality and preference and little habits that are destroying the root system. Are you with me? We have to be wise and vigilant about what we're allowing to lead and guide our interactions at home. So, so what are these deterrents that threaten the roots in our marriage? I'm going to spend just a little time today just talking about connection. Just that one thing. I, we've got several that we need to work through. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how many weeks we're going to take in this marriage series. So, uh, Connection. The Bible actually begins with this picture of perfect connection. Adam and Eve are living in the Garden of Eden, perfectly connected both to one another and to God. And you guys know the story that just as mankind forfeited their right to live in the Garden by disobeying the command of God, they also forfeited the ease of connection they had with Him and with each other. Like suddenly, all that God had created them for, to live in perfect union together and with Him, suddenly is devastatingly split apart because of their disobedience. And since that rocky beginning, God has been working to restore humanity's connection to Him and to each other. And there is a crescendo moment, this declaration in 2 Corinthians 5, where he says, that, or Paul says, that God is actually reconciling everyone and everything back to the Father through the body of Jesus. 
This is the work. This is why we can pray for for unbelievers in Israel and in Palestine. This is why we can lift up the Macedonian people. This is why we can lift up the work that David and Caleb are doing because God is restoring and reconciling everyone and everything through the blood of Jesus. That there's not a person who's on your enemy list that God doesn't deeply care about. There's not a single person who has deeply wronged you whose whose blood Jesus cannot wash and cleanse and redeem. This, this is the work that Paul declares. But then in Ephesians 2, God's not just redeeming you to himself through Jesus. Ephesians 2 tells us that God is actually reconciling us to one another through Jesus. He, he says he is taking the dividing wall of hostility and he has destroyed it. He has made the two one, both Jew and Gentile, and reconciled them both to the Father through himself. What is he saying? That this connecting work of the Spirit, this connecting work of God, God's deep longing for connection surpasses just getting you back to Him. But in the getting you back to Him, He's actually reconnecting you to the people that you've been divided from. And He does it all through the blood of Jesus. This is the heart of God. It's to restore connection between us and Him and us and each other. You know, one of the devastating things about the news that we've been watching this weekend and the ongoing news cycle around Israel and Palestine is that there is no hope for them to work this out apart from Jesus. Zero. Zero. This is a thousands of years old situation. It's not new. I was talking to, um, to Andrew about this situation, and I asked a question that I realized later sounds ridiculous. Hey, like, what built up to this moment? And Andrew said, well... You know, it wasn't like an isolated thing. We got kind of thousands of years of this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I just meant like, is there, but that's kind of the condition. We we have age old enemies who cannot be reconciled, cannot be brought back together apart from Jesus. And, And God longs for us to learn how to fight for unity and connection in the same way that he does. You know, one of my favorite passages that mirrors this longing for connection is from Hosea chapter two. In verse 14, um, God has actually just unleashed this scathing rebuke against his people and said, they're idolatrous, they're prostitutes. They prostitute themselves around to all the other foreign gods. They sleep with anyone and everyone, but they're not committed to me. But in verse 14, he says, in the midst of that, I'm going to allure her and I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I'm going to give her back her vineyards. And I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. There she will respond. The word is sing. There she will sing as in the days of her youth. As in the days she came up out of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. What do you hear? Can you imagine hearing God say that about people? Like hearing his voice say that? Can you imagine the voice of a husband saying that over his wife? Like, she's crushed me. She's devastated me. And here's my response. I'm going to woo her to go back to simple, desolate places to look at her and to speak tenderly to her again. She has slept around with the entire nation. You know what I'm going to do? I want to actually get back and I want to connect with my bride. I want her to see my eyes that they're not filled with anger and hatred. They're filled with tenderness and compassion. This, this is God's heart. It's the longing of the heart of God to connect with his people. 
It's difficult, I think, for us to fathom that what we experience in disconnection from our spouses, God feels towards us in disconnection. That God actually experiences us stiff-arming his presence and pushing him away in hard seasons. And in the same way, husbands, that you long for the heart of your wife, the same way, wife, that you long for the heart of your husband, God longs for your heart. I I see it most in verse 16 where he says in that day, you're not going to call me my master, right? Formal, disconnected, disengaged. You're just an authority. He says, you will call me my husband. That's warm and tender and compassionate. But how many of you know it's a challenge to keep our hearts tender and connected to each other? Like, like if you've been in relationship with any other human ever, <laughs> you know that it is a challenge to keep your heart tender and connected when there's a whole lot of drama and situations you've gone through. Every single one of us has experienced this. And in marriage, I think that there is an exponential hardening that can happen when we face trials and situations day after day after day, week after week, year over year, and we don't actually work through them. We have to fight for this kind of tenderness. And when we see that God has actually designed your marriage to mirror his relationship to us, we begin to see why the enemy despises your marriage so much. Right, like one of the things we've been talking about is this idea that God has placed his image in your marriage. That Daniel and Tori didn't just get married because they just really like each other. Like, that's true. That's probably a good place to start. But that what the Lord is proving to them is when they learn how to love one another sacrificially and yield to one another in respect, that this thing looks and sounds and smells like Jesus in the church. And that in your marriage, he has actually tattooed his image so that when people look on, they go, I understand Jesus better. Like, I I get who he is and how he is better. And there is nothing that the enemy hates more. Like, seriously. In the same way that Satan hates the image of God in every human, Satan hates with the fires of hell the image of God in every marriage. Right? Like he believes that he's the only one to be worshipped and he hates God. So when God puts his image into you, guess who he hates now? You. And guess what happens when two people come together and they become one super person? He hates you. He hates your marriage. If he wants to cripple me, all he has to do is get into my marriage. If he wants to come after me, one of the first and most effective ways is just to get in between me and Chrissy and stir up drama. Can I get an amen, married folks? It's one of his key things. It stands to reason for us that one of the primary ways that Satan attacks the image of God in the earth is by attacking your marriage. Hear that. One of the key ways that he works against the image of God is by getting in the middle of your marriage. And perhaps the core way that he attacks marriage is by the erosion and corrosion of disconnection. And how does he do it? A big dramatic ways, right? Probably. No, not usually. The way that he moves into disconnecting us is usually subtle and shadowy. I think oftentimes our eyes and ears are cued to look for the enemy to attack us in these massive, very like demonstrative ways. And often it's in the very, very small things like little foxes, 
It's small daily choices we make where we don't actually consider the long-term impact of that seemingly inconsequential thing. All I have to do, if you could just back up from your daily activities and say, if I say things this way for 20 years, what does it produce in my marriage? If I practice this same activity over and over for 20 years in the same way, what kind of marriage does it produce? What kind of relationship does it leave me and Chrissy with? What, what does it do for, for Mariana if you continue to live in the exact same ways? What does it do to Sarah if we continue to respond in the same ways? This is the work of wisdom where I can actually take my thoughts and my decisions on a daily basis and I judge them on their trajectory. Not just can I be merciful at myself for making a mistake once. What happens if I build the kind of culture that is built off of these kinds of decisions each and every day over time? See, rarely does someone like have an affair in just a moment of weakness. Like as a pastor, I hear that sometimes. I just had a moment of weakness. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You, you built a culture where infidelity was possible. And that doesn't happen in a moment. That's a long, slow road over time of making small decisions, of avoiding dealing with things, of holding unforgiveness in your heart, of passing glances at strangers that you're attracted to, where suddenly I've cultivated the kind of environment where that activity is reasonable. You hear what I'm saying? That stuff doesn't just happen. We create cultures. And what would it look like for us to have the kind of eyes that see what kind of culture we're creating in marriage? That my daily decisions, the way that I address my wife, the way that she addresses me, what I do for her, what she does for me, the way that we interact at home, that I'm creating the kind of culture, not just where I'm not moving toward everything burning down, but where I'm building something. Like that we're moving forward and growing up into the high call of God in our marriage. You know? Yeah, thank you. Rarely does it happen quickly. Disconnection doesn't just happen. It's the fruit of seeds that we plant over long periods of time. You know, the idea of disconnection is really strange to us because we are so hyper-connected. Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and cell phones and social media and 24-hour news cycles. Some of you got your doorbells connected to your cell phones. I was at a concert on Friday night, and a guy left the concert twice because the doorbell came up on his phone. He had to go, like, talk to somebody at the door. I was like... You know, choose your battles, man. <laughs> Let the guy stand at your door. <laughs> Listen to the concert. Yeah. Your computer syncs with your watch. You have a theater in the palm of your hand. Like being connected doesn't seem to be an issue. The problem is we also have an epidemic of loneliness and depression and anxiety and disconnection. I can be connected to everyone, everywhere, all the time, and in whatever degree I want, and I am not connected to the person right in front of me. In fact, my fear is we have lost the capacity to even understand how to. When I work with younger generations, I realize, for Lily and their age, you guys who are at Calvary and all over, one of the things that you lack is the ability to look at somebody in the eyes and have a conversation. And that's not your fault. We've done it to you. It's just now we got to double down and help you. Figure out how to have a conversation and not just text every time you're mad. Hey, church folks, you know how many cleanups we got to do on uh, text wars? 
Facebook wars where you shot um, a little missile. You know, like we're watching this on the news and we see the collateral damage. It's one thing when the building explodes in front of you. It's another on Facebook or text message where you never have to deal with the collateral damage. You just fire missiles and then act like it never happened. That's a problem. We've lost the capacity to genuinely connect. Everybody's bold on text. Say to my face. <laughs> Conversations go very differently when you're talking face to face, right? I also think it's a reason we don't know how to handle our anger. When things do go face-to-face, we get violence in the streets and people end up running each other off the road and all kind of craziness because you can't disagree and do it well. Folks, we, we are in a bad situation. We have lost the capacity to know how to connect with people. You can be dead in front of me, and I don't know if you're actually with me. How can we be so connected on one hand and live so disconnected from the person on the other side of the couch from us? How can I know more about what's going on in Israel than I do my wife's heart? You know, if I could boil it down to two categories just to pull it down close, it would just be distraction and negligence. Neglect. You know, as I was preparing this message, Roman and Sarah came and stayed with us this weekend, and um, I was preparing this message, and I had list, like uh, soaking music, like prayer music, on my computer blaring at me, and then I had the TV muted, and Roman was beside me, and then the kids were running through the room. Jackson's rolling through on his little toy, and Elizabeth's so cute, and she's running through the room, and my kids... And then I just realized I'm preaching on connection and distraction. (laughs) And I couldn't put a single thought together. Interesting. See, one of the major detriments to being connected, it's not rocket science. It's just that we're trying to do too much too often, and we don't know how to simplify and slow down. I don't know how to just make space. Sometimes we think, I, I, I need deliverance. You don't. You need to turn your phone off. Maybe that's the deliverance you need. The deliverance you need is to quit binging Netflix, right? Like, close your computer, shut it down. Uh, and I think for all of us, I can speak to this because I, I struggle, man. Ever since I was a kid, I love TV. Like, love it. I grew up in one of those houses where the TV was on and the volume was up to 50, like all day, you know. My dad's not here, so I can say it more freely. He, he's a little deaf, and so dad would crank the TV, and he would let it roll. And so we grew up where that was the prevalent noise in our house. I still love to sit and watch long movies. You people who hate long movies, I don't get you at all. I want all the long movies. Give me the three-hour, you know. Let's do the extended. Let's talk about it. Let's chat it up. I want to dig in. I want to chew on it. I I love it. I actually am one of those people. I can preach to you all day long, but when I am stressed out, the first thought I have is, I'm just going to scroll through some YouTube videos. And you get caught on the trail? You know what I'm talking about? Before you know it, you're trying to figure out, like, how to cobble your boots again, like, re-cobble them. And, like, (laughs) I could get into this. I can't tell you how many videos of, like, digging out the hoof issues on a cow, like, I've gotten into. (laughs) And I love it. I love it. I'm not even going to say that I don't. I do love it. Pimple popper, I'm there all day. All day. I really broke the room on that one, didn't I? Can we be honest? 
the kind of connection you want in your marriage is being eroded by simple little things like that that we can explain away. It's not a big deal. It's just another video. It's not a big deal. I'm just watching another show. Where's your spouse? Have you talked, have you talked to them about how their day went? Again, I'm, I'm taking shots at me. You just might be getting hit as well. We, we spend too much time chasing distraction. In anything to take us away from real life, away from work routines and taking care of kids and difficult conversations with a friend, anything to get my mind off of that. Like the new drug of choice is not just fentanyl, it is uh, scrolling and binging to cope with the anxiety and the feelings of being overwhelmed. We think, man, our, our streets are being riddled with addiction. Our homes are being riddled with addiction, but it's of a different kind. Right? But because that kind of distraction is the legal way to stay high all the time, and it's 100% the way to keep you disconnected from your spouse. You see why I asked you permission at the beginning? <laughs> we, we've got to be razor sharp on the kind of culture that we're creating if we want the kinds of marriages that are like fortified and strong and can push through hard seasons. If we want the kind of marriages where people can look at them and they see Jesus, that means I've got to fight to make a different set of choices that are going to challenge what's normal for me, what I prefer, what's easy for me on a hard day when I'm tired. Are you with me? And you can explain it away. That's why it's so hard. You can explain it away. It's no big deal. It's just a movie. It's no big deal. I had a long day. Your spouse isn't going to fight you on that, right? So what does it look like for us to do that? You know, one of the other things that we, we struggle with is this practice of just neglect, right? Neglecting our spouses is what happens when we grow apathetic toward each other, and we just kind of cease making an honest effort to show up for each other and to stay connected. Neglect doesn't mean you're fighting. It just means you're not trying. I'm just not trying. It's been a long day. It's been a stressful season. I don't have to put in the work here. But hear me. Relationships require consistent investment to grow them. Just like a vineyard. When people are doing marriage counseling with me or pre-marriage counseling, I always land on the same stuff on you. Hey, if we prepare for the marriage and not the wedding, we'll be okay. But if we're just trying to build you up to have a good wedding, this is going to be a disaster. You need to cultivate the kind of culture, the kind of environment where your marriage can thrive long term. It's like a vineyard. I've got to learn what causes things to grow and what causes them to die. And, and folks, I'm an expert at killing a plant. I can kill a plant unlike anybody you've ever met. I've got plants in my backyard right now. that It's not rocket science. I haven't watered you. I haven't, I'm, and I don't plan to. You're just going to die. <laughs> I'm going to watch it, and we're going to use it on Sunday. You know, we're just going to talk about it. <laughs> Relationships require that you tend to them constantly. There's not a single marriage that thrives because you had a great wedding. Some of you had incredible weddings. You were like the most beautiful bride, husband, like you, you brought your A game, you had the bow tie, and then you got in and you got lazy and you forgot that that thing needs tending. It needs pruning and watering. It needs love constantly. you got to push in to connect. 
And let's be honest, not a single one of us wants a bad marriage. There's not a single person who were on their wedding day was like, I would like an apathetic marriage with a bitter wife. <laughs> not me, I want to be isolated and cold. You know, like, none of us. Every single one of us wants something that's, that's beautiful and thriving and red hot in love for each other, right? No one wants that. No one wants to be disconnected. But here's the question. Are you actually willing to do the work to cultivate connection? And let's be real. If you've been married for a few years, you actually know what that means. That's not easy work. That's hard work. That is learning how to communicate on the same page. That's learning how to fight for the same value system. That's learning how to line up your expectations and who's responsible for what. That's from practical to like priority, you learning how to walk this thing out. Are you willing to do the work to cultivate connection, right? Like one of the questions I ask in marriage counseling all the time is, does the thing that I'm doing add to or take away from connection with my spouse? It's a brilliant question. You should, ask, you should like write it down somewhere on your palm, on your glasses, do something. Does it add to or take away from connection with my spouse? So even things that are arguable, they're preferential, is it building something or is it destroying something? And, and can I look far enough to see the consequences of the decisions that I'm making? It's a question that we have to ask. So are we willing to like fight off this stuff? Are you willing to fight through distraction? You know, the opposite of distraction isn't focus. That's kind of what I thought it would have been. I don't know about you guys. Like I, I would have thought the idea of getting on the other side of distraction actually would have led me to focus. But the opposite of distraction defined is stillness or being present. Have you ever felt, have you ever had that moment of awareness when you're super distracted and you can feel your mind jumping here to here to here? Just think about the next thing and then I get caught up in this thing. You know what I'm talking about? You could feel your heart racing or your gut racing and you're just moving from one thing to the next to the next. The opposite of distraction is not that I'm just deeply focused. The opposite of distraction is that I can get my inner and outer world still and I can be present. I, I love stillness. The older I get, I realize I'm hardwired to need to be still, but I deeply long for stillness. I love getting really quiet and really still, and I like what happens when my heart and my eyes start to open to what's actually happening in and around me. You know what I'm talking about? You get in a really quiet moment, the sun hits just right, the breeze is moving through the trees, and you go, oh, I don't think I've breathed in a day. You know what I'm talking about? Your heart slows down, and usually what happens is you start thinking about things that are real. I've been avoiding it all day long, and I start thinking about this real stuff. And, and that's kind of the aha. Sometimes when I get still, I'm hit with this wave of things that I haven't allowed myself to feel yet or to think about, and it takes discipline to actually sit in it and work through it. Some of you chase distraction because you don't want to deal with what's going on inside of you. You know what I'm talking about. It's like um, if you are a type A person and you run a million miles an hour and then you get to your vacation time every year and the first thing that happens is you get sick because you've been pushing so hard for so long and avoiding all of the process work that when you stop, you get overwhelmed and crushed. 
Is that hitting anybody? It, it is a difficult thing for us to realize that the very invitation to get still and to be present, to, to fight off distraction, means that I've got to face some things. We love dealing with stuff out there. It's the stuff in here that's the problem. And stillness and presence, it invites us into the space where I have to actually work through this. You can feel it. I can feel it in the room right now. For some of you, you're doing the, you've been avoiding the deep internal work, interior work, or you feel like maybe your level of spirituality is too immature to handle what's going on inside of you. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, speaks emotion. He knows how to get you through what you're feeling. He's an incredible navigator. So you say, I'm angry, and he says, let's talk about it. What is that aimed at? Right? He's the axe that cuts down to the root. He can get to the root of the matter for us. But, but we have to do the discipline of actually sitting in and working through stuff. It, it's work. It's work. And often we're terrified to get still personally or in our marriages because when things stop, we are faced with the realities we've been ignoring um, going on under the surface all along. And, and men, if I can just say it clearly, we're the worst. I think we're the worst. Man, I will compartmentalize all day long. And then when something happens, traumatic season, traumatic issue, all of those things come together and I got to deal with it. And some of us, we have developed a really strong system of resistance where we just run and we don't ever deal. And the Lord wants to call us to deal with our stuff so that we don't blow up our marriages. Are you with me? We have to learn how to deal with our stuff. Christy and I had this funny moment years ago. We, uh, we were in an intense fight and we were in public. You ever had one of those moments? They're, they're fun. Um, we, we were in a disagreement. She was not talking to me. She was very angry. Um, and then I go into like fix it mode and I'm the chaser of the two of us, you know, in those moments. And we're like in target. Okay. This is not where you want to have a fight. Um, and we're walking around and she's so angry at me and we're at each other. And then something magical slash weird happened. This person who we had had issues with walked past the aisle and both of us like ducked. And then we started to build commonality around drama with this person. We were like, did you see her? She was like, yeah, I saw her. And our drama stopped. We weren't mad at each other anymore because the drama was out there. Some of you live in drama out there because you don't want to. Okay, we'll move on. You don't want to deal with the drama you got. So you will continue to burn everybody else down because you are scared to death of the fire inside of you. Hey, we've got to be very, very careful that we don't push, push, push and stay distracted in life and not stop and deal with the issue. And sometimes in our marriage, we are unwilling, like we'll just move to the next distraction because we're terrified to stand still and to actually deal with the issue. And there are issues for all of us. There's not a single marriage in this room that I think you're just solid and you got no issue. I, some of you may be pretty close, but I'm not on that list. Me and Chrissy have to stop and like work through stuff. Are you with me? And if we if I can bounce off of last week, if we want to be the kinds of people who can do the kinds of things that I believe God calls us to, that means we need to have the kinds of marriages that are connected and rooted and can sustain it. Like, 
one of the things we learned in, mis- in missionary mobilization was that um, couples get to the field and they implode over and over and over again. You know why? Because they never stop long enough to deal with the issues under the surface in their relationship. And you get into another culture like that, and it just squeezes and squeezes. I'm not going to blow this thing up, but squeezes until it explodes. All it does is it magnifies what was already there. So what's there under the surface of your marriage? Okay, I don't even know where I'm at on here. So it's possible that your Netflix addiction or your Instagram scrolling is less about your appetite for sci-fi or your deep desire to understand, like, I don't know, old world cold remedies from some granola mama. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) You're like, fire cider, this is what I need. It's going to save us. I, I know the people I'm trying to avoid in the room right now. <laughs> trying to avoid eye contact. Don't you dare say elderberry. It'll start a fight. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I got half of y'all in the room. Okay. Look, maybe it's not that you're just so into the thing that you spend so much time on. Maybe it's that you are uh, deadly afraid of dealing with reality. And perhaps you're just doping up on digital distraction because you and your spouse have some issues that you don't know how to address. Or maybe, maybe it's just a bad habit. Right? Perfectly possible. Whatever the motivation, we can't ignore it if we want to strengthen our connection. So hear me. You are choosing to connect to whatever you're giving your time and attention to. Whatever you give your time and attention to, you're saying, I want to be connected to that. And whatever you give your best time and attention to, that's what you're really married to. Can, you, can we feel that just as a community? Whatever I'm giving my best time and attention to, that's actually the relationship I'm in. So how do we fight this distraction in our marriage? I'm going to do my very best to condense this down. Uh, firstly, make time for each other and spend quality time alone on a weekly basis. Let's get really practical, couples. Like, you're not going to get past distraction if you don't start by just building some spaces of intentionality. I'm type A. I want to fix all the things all at once. Anybody else? And then you end up fixing nothing because you're trying to fix everything? Yeah? You guys aren't lifting your hands. Did I hurt you? Did I hurt your feelings? Okay. So I want to fix all of it right? Room's a mess. I'm going to clean the whole room and organize it. And I'm going to color code and I'm going to, and then I end up doing nothing and just throwing clothes against the wall and yelling things. Hey, the way to fix distraction is not to become a completely undistracted individual. The way to fix distraction is to create spaces where you're intentional. Like a Friday night where you and your spouse say, Hey, for three hours on Friday, Like, we're going to work something out with another family or couple in the church. They can watch our kids. We'll watch their kids. And every other week, we're going to go on a date, and we're going to sit there and talk. We're going to turn our phones off and stick them in our pockets, and we're going to look at each other in the eyes until it gets uncomfortable, and we're going to deal. It's just intentional. I'm going to make time for this other person in my life. Uh, Nikki and Scylla Lee from Alpha Marriage Course, they actually say that this demands that we plan it, we prioritize it, and we protect it. I put it on my calendar right by the work stuff that I've got to do, and this is my marriage thing that I've got to do. I'm going to show up for this. I plan it, right? I prioritize it. I don't let other things take priority over it. Your ball game's not as important as your wife. 
right? The race on Sunday is not as important as your wife. Whatever the thing is for you that is like a coping mechanism, like prioritize it and then protect it. Fight for that thing. Secondly, we put limits on our phones. This is super practical. Um, one suggestion from John Mark Comer, I'm going to give you kind of three ideas here. He says um, that he suggests putting your phone to bed at least an hour before you go to bed. What does that mean? That means if you're going to bed at 10, at 9 o'clock you shut your phone off and you plug it up in a different room. Now those of you who are in here and you're single, you're like, I don't understand the big deal, perhaps. And if you're married, you know that you will sit in the bed for three hours on your phone and your spouse is beside you and you don't even look at them. Unless you're like, look at this funny thing that just happened on Instagram. <laughs> right? Too close to home? Are we okay? <laughs> no, um, no emails this week, okay? Put your phones to bed. Uh, secondly, keep your phone in a separate room, like I said, to avoid scrolling at night or to break dependence on it. Thirdly, when you get up in the morning... Pray and spend some time in quiet, even if it's 10 minutes before you turn your phone on. Now, I'm like most of you. My phone is my alarm. Everybody else? It doesn't work. Because here's what happens. I hit stop. I turn airplane mode off because I turn airplane mode on every night, right? I'm not the Messiah. People can figure their stuff out every night. Um, And then... People are like, you turn your phone off? What if an emergency happens? We'll figure it out. Um, And then your phone starts to populate in front of your face, and you start to respond to stuff, right? Text messages, emails, news reels. What would it look like for you to, like, cultivate a different kind of relationship with this thing that's consuming your relational world? Is everybody with me? Y'all good? These things are fantastically helpful and terrible terrible. So what what does it look like for us to cultivate the kind of relationship where we put limits on that thing? And finally, are we willing to move from neglect to paying attention? You know, it's easy to miss stuff with our spouses when we're just not paying attention. It's easy. This can show up physically and emotionally and spiritually. Uh, Are you being attentive to your spouse? Are you simply stopping to say, hey, what's going on in your world? Like one of the questions I've tried to execute with my wife is, is there anything going on in your world that I don't know about? And how can I help? It may seem disconnected or weird. Try it. Try just saying, what's going on for you? And how can I be a good husband to you right now? How can I be a good wife? Can you imagine, husbands, if your wife just said that to you, what would you do? Hey, how can I be a good wife to you right now? Or wife, what if your your husband simply just said... I'd really like to be a good husband to you right now. How can I do that? What would that do in your marriage? Sometimes we make it this other big thing. We blame the enemy for all kind of stuff that's just us. Y'all, disarmed and defeated is what Colossians says. And yet, we arm him up and pretend that all of our marriage issues are him. Hear me. You have been empowered on high to cultivate a dip, not a dip, a deep, rich, healthy marriage. And it's going to mean embracing the discomfort and inconvenience of dealing with what's going on inside of you and tending to the wife, to, to to the heart and the soul of your spouse.
It's just like a vineyard. I got to do the work of watering and pruning and tending. And so how many of you want to have really good, healthy marriages? Seriously. You ready to work? You ready to work? Husbands, y'all ready to work? Because the stuff he's called you to is going to require, if you're married in this room, or you're in that path where you want to be married, it's going to require that you have a stellar, strong, robust marriage that can take on the tidal wave of demonic attack and darkness around us, and we can still love one another, submit to one another, and stay connected. One of the most beautiful pictures, I'll close with this. Um, Growing up, my mom, when she would get tender, she would curl up and she would like put her, uh, her upper body on my dad's lap and he would just stroke her hair. And my dad was not a very, like, he's not an emotional person in that way. He was so tender to her. I remember walking in as a kid and thinking, that right there is what I want. I want connection. It's not that we're always going to get it right. It's not that I'm not going to hurt my wife's feelings and she's not going to hurt mine. It's not even that there aren't seasons that feel like winter where I'm not quite sure what's going on in the relationship. It's that both of us are doing the hard work of digging in, dealing with our stuff, and tending to the soul and the the needs of our spouse so that we can sustain something good. And friends, you desperately need this. This house will be filled with marriages that are strong, and vibrant and thriving because you do the hard work. You can't phone it in. There's no passive marriage that works. Amen? And so will you stand to your feet? If you're with your spouse, will you just take their hand beside you? Um, And if you're in the room and you're single, but man, your deep desire is to enter into marriage, you're in this season of singleness, we honor that. It's beautiful. But if your heart is to step into that place Uh, of being married one day, I want you to begin to ask yourself this question. Um, What are the things in my life that will keep me from being the kind of spouse that can stay connected? And husband and wife, as you're holding one another's hand, why don't you ask, what are the things that I'm doing that are adding to and the things that are destroying the connection in my marriage? What are they? Right now, this may sound super practical, but I believe it's worship. We're talking about the image of God. And so, Father, would you just give us clarity as a community about the things, the little foxes, that we have pretended are inconsequential, but they are eating at the root of our love. Father, would you give us a ruthlessness against little foxes? We will not treat little foxes like they're nothing. Father, let us have the kind of um, ruthlessness toward anything that pulls away from the love of God that you've sown us together with. God, I pray that we would be quick to that. Lord, in this house, Father, I just pray that there would be a commitment between our spouses, uh, Lord, to enter back into pursuing each other and to giving one another um, time each and every week. And Father, we just confess that as a culture, As a church, Lord, we have failed when it comes to our phones. We have made these things into so much more than they are. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would help us. Even today, as married couples go, Father, I pray that there would be a time of confession and repentance from the way that we have honored our phones above one another. And honored distractions above one another. Help us, Lord. 
God, you are calling us to be a remnant people who are faithful to steward what you're doing in the earth. But Lord, we can't do it distracted. So I pray that you would call us to stillness and to full attention. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have consistently pursued us as your bride. You have consistently washed us. You have consistently tended to our souls. We thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit who never leaves us or forsakes us, but is always present with us. You are God who is present with us. We invite you to come and lead us. Teach us, Lord, to be connected in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance to you and give you peace. I pray that when you move to distraction, that you will be stubborn, dig your heels in and get still before the Lord and let the Spirit do the deep work in your hearts. I pray that whatever you're avoiding out of fear or anxiety, that God would give you courage to face it so that you can form the kind of marriage that is steely in the face of depression and stress and anxiety, that you will have a mirror image of the image of God in your marriage and that people can come and eat of the fruit of your marriage because of what you fought for. Father, I thank you for wellsprings of life in marriages all across this room today. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org.